Whether you're a skeptic or a believer, join me, Rob McConnell, as together we'll investigate the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology here on the Exxon Radio TV show on XZBN and the Exxon TV channel on Simul TV. Since 1990, the Exxon Radio TV show has been the place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. Together, we'll investigate UFOs, aliens, ghosts, Bigfoot, psychic phenomena, lake monsters, conspiracy theories, government cover-ups, the truth embargo, alien abductions, ESP, haunted locations from around the world, and so much more. With over 28 years of broadcasting and more than 4,500 individual guests, the X-Zone is truly a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality, as evidenced by the credibility, integrity, and professionalism of the guests that we bring to our international audience. If you have seen a UFO, had a close encounter, seen a ghost, Bigfoot, lake monster, or a story that you would like to share or have investigated, contact me, Rob McConnell, by sending me your email to xzone at xzoneradiotv.com or you can call toll-free 1-800-610-7035, extension 143, and on Skype, Exone Radio TV. For more information on the Exxon Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.exxoneradiotv.com or www.exxonetvchannel.com or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next we meet here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Always remember X-Zone Nation, keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light. Welcome everyone to Too Good To Be True. Thank you for taking the time to listen. The subject for today's show is infamous spies. Before we start getting into details, let's just briefly talk about psychic insight and how we apply it. We choose a subject and research it, and based on that research, we determine what we think needs to be explained by creating a series of questions. Then Justina provides psychic insight to answer those questions. The psychic insight is narrated towards the end of the show. Accepting the psychic insight is a question of individual belief. Now let's go through the disclaimers. Here are the disclaimers. Neither of us claim to have any expertise in any subjects that we discuss. We relate information we find through research and the psychic insight. We are always delighted to hear from the listeners. The show only lasts an hour. We don't have the time to present exhaustive research on any topic. This means that there will be information that we miss. We want to provide a basis for the psychic insight. We don't care if a theory turns out too good to be true, as the show name suggests. We're only interested in finding out more of the truth about topics. Spirit can only relate insight that is appropriate for our time in history. Free will cannot be affected. Only comments that are appropriate for our time can be given through the psychic insight. Much of the subject matter in shows may have already been covered many times in other media. We want to look into subjects in a new, different way and be thought-provoking. We're not so good with pronouncing names, we apologize, and neither of us have any particular knowledge of history, espionage, or national security. If we have missed it in anything, we apologize. Being a spy means having to be deceitful, and if you get caught, the penalties are usually severe, along with perhaps a lot of coverage in the media. Even before James Bond, people seemed to really like spy stories. The 1931 Hollywood movie, Matahari, starring Greta Garbo, was the most commercially successful movie of that year. The story doesn't seem to go away. In fact, some female spies have been called Matahari's after the most infamous spy of them all. Time magazine, in an article written by Ray Kavanagh from October 2017, questions whether Matahari, born Margareta Zell, was actually a spy. Quote, Born in 1876 in the Netherlands, she was the daughter of a once prosperous hat merchant who went bankrupt. At age 18, she married an officer in the Dutch colonial army. Together, they lived at his military post in Indonesia, then called the Dutch East Indies, where they had two children, one of whom died soon after birth. During their unhappily, mutually unfaithful, and at times physically abusive marriage. 
Upon heading back to Europe in 1902, the couple separated and ultimately divorced. Migrating to Paris, the divorcee reinvented herself as a striptease dancer who claimed to be of Far Eastern descent. She called herself Matahari, Eye of the Dawn in the Malay language. Starting in 1905, she captivated crowds in Europe's cultural, cultural capitals. Her career lasted about a decade and she lost ground until she lost ground to younger and more athletic imitators. But she still possessed abundant charm and was fluent in several languages and was able to find success as a courtesan, seducing the wealthy and powerful from multiple nations, including high-ranking government officials." Unquote. Ten years after 1905 would be 1915, the second year of World War I. How did she move around to meet the wealthy and powerful from multiple nations? Because she was from the Netherlands, the article continues. Quote, because her home country remained neutral during World War I, she was allowed to cross borders with comparatively little hassle. However, her travels and lifestyle would attract attention. Before the war, her behaviours might met with, with mere moral disapproval, but during the war, it, was, it also elicited suspicion of espionage. Among her lovers was Major Arnold Kelly, a German military attaché. Whether he began to regard her as a nuisance or a liability, he sought to dispose of her. So using a code that he knew the French had already cracked, he transmitted a message easily identifying her as a spy. Unquote. So she was totally set up. Different sources differ, including that the code hadn't been actually been cracked. But in a trial where her lawyer couldn't cross-examine witnesses or ask her questions, she was found guilty after the jury had been out for just 45 minutes. She was executed by the French military, as described in the same article. Quote, on July the 25th, 1917, the French military government found her guilty of espionage. The Dutch government did not intervene to any significant degree on behalf of its citizen, who was executed after having spent months enduring malnourishment and incarceration in vermin-infested conditions. The myth-making began immediately after a date with a firing squad. Rumours circulated that the French executioners had fired blanks, enabling her to escape. The truth was far less romantic. After she was shot dead, her remains were donated for a dissection to the University of Paris Medical School. For all the demand her body had previously inspired, nobody wanted it once she had died." Unquote. By 1917, the morale of the French military was low and some divisions had begun to mutiny. The French appeared to be in the need of a scapegoat to explain at least some of the lack of military success and found one, the attractive middle-aged female foreigner with the questionable way of life. Her legacy was to have refused a blindfold at her firing squad while possibly smiling and blowing a kiss to her executioners. Is there any proof that she actually passed on information that would have put any military in danger? The Time magazine article concludes by suggesting that 100 years on, the jury is still out. Quote, However, the public chose to remember her, the German government exculpated Matahari in 1930, 1930, but the nation had, that executed her had shown more reluctance to revisit her story. Though some French papers pertaining to her case have been declassified, it remains to be seen whether the future will further her notoriety as a spy or solidify her tragedy as a scapegoat." Unquote. The term excapulated means that Matahari was legally declared not guilty of any wrongdoing. Therefore, in 1930, Germany officially didn't consider, to have, consider her to have been a spy. But decades later, in the 1970s, unsealed German documents suggest that she really was a spy. Changing subject, how about a spy or an alleged spy that didn't get found guilty? Let's talk about Peggy Shipping, Shippen, who was the wife of traitor Benedict Arnold at the time of the American War of Independence. The following is from Wikipedia. Quote, Margaret Peggy Shipping, July 11, 1760 to August 24, 1804, was the second wife of General Benedict Arnold. She gained notoriety for being the highest paid spy in the Amer American Revolution. Shippen was born into a prominent Philadelphia family with loyalist tendencies. 
She met Arnold during her tenure as military commander. Sorry, she met Arnold during his tenure as military commander of the city following the British withdrawal in 1778. They were married in the Shipping Townhouse on 4th Street on April the 8th, 1779, and Arnold began conspiring with the British to change sides soon after. Peggy played a role in the conspiracy, which was exposed after Major John Andre was arrested in September 1780, carrying documents concerning the planned surrender of the critical Continental Army base at West Point, unquote. John Andre was a frequent guest at the Shipping Home after the British captured Philadelphia in September of 1777. So Peggy was at the center of that conspiracy. According to Wikipedia, that is probably true. Quote, as a newlywed, Peggy may have had contact with her dear friend, Major Andre, who had become General Clinton's spy chief. She and Arnold also had close friends who were either actively loyalist or sympathetic to that cause. Some historians believe that Peggy's shipping instigated the correspondence between Arnold and Andre and sent military secrets to the British before her wedding, unquote. General Sir Henry Clinton was the British Commander-in-Chief in North America from 1778 to 1782. What happened to Peggy when Benedict Arnold was exposed as a traitor? The Thoughtco website further explains Peggy's complicity and the events that followed. Quote, Peggy did play some part in these exchanges. She facilitated some of the communications and some of the surviving letters, including include portions written in her handwriting with her husband's messages on the same sheet written in invisible ink. In 1792, it would be revealed that Peggy was paid 350 pounds for handling some messages. Around this time, however, Peggy became pregnant and she gave birth to a son, Edward, in March, March 1780. The family moved to a home near West Point, the crucial military post where Arnold had gained command. And there he was slowly weakening defenses in order to make it easy to hand over to the British. In September, in September 1780, the plot fell apart. On September 21st, Andre and Arnold met so that Arnold could hand over significant documents related to the West Point plot. As Andre attempted to return to British territory, however, he was persuaded by his go-between that it would be safer to ride in plain clothes. As a, as a result, he was captured on September 23rd and deemed a spy instead of an enemy officer. Arnold fled on September the 25th, leaving Peggy and their son behind. George Washington and his aides, including Alexander, Alexander Hamilton, were scheduled to have breakfast with the Arnolds that morning and they discovered his treason as they arrived to find Peggy alone. Peggy became hysterical upon discovering her husband's treason, which may have helped buy Arnold time to escape but returned to her family in Philadelphia and feigned ignorance until a letter between Andre and Peggy was discovered, upon which she was sent to British-occupied New York with her husband, where their second son, James, was born. Andre was executed as a spy, unquote. 350 pounds in 1792 would have, the value, have a value approaching $100,000 in today's terms. We'll have to continue talking about infamous spies after this break. And you're listening to Too Good to Be True with Justina Marsh and Pete Marsh on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, www.xebn.net. It's hard to listen to the news without realizing we're living in volatile, unprecedented times. Yet never has there been such an opportunity to transform the human condition. As old structures fail, where can we find the guidance to co-create a better way? Find Your Path Home is an ever-evolving, leading-edge information, education, and healing resource center designed to support and guide you on your path to unity and enlightenment. Based on sound principles employed by Shaman Worldwide, we provide techniques that can support you through the current transitions, offering online shamanic classes, 
international long-distance shamanic healing sessions, complimentary Mission Evolution radio episodes and Stairway to Heaven TV vignettes, seminars, retreats, and much more. All of this can be found on findyourpathhome.com. So I was watching the X-Zone TV channel last night when I was abducted by aliens and they kept repeating to me over and over again, simultv.com, simultv.com. What's simultv.com? That's what I asked them. They had it written on the side of their UFO. How do you spell that? UFO. No, I mean simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Right. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Interesting that you were abducted by aliens in a simultv.com UFO last night. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Now that you mention it, I remember now last night, I was awakened from a deep sleep. My great-grandmother was standing there. She said she'd come from the hereafter to tell me about Simultv.com. She even spelled it out for me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. Wow. Yeah. Guys, you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Exactly. Are you guys psychic too? Of course. We all know about Simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Welcome back to Too Good to Be True. And before the break, we were quoting from the Thaco website about Peggy's complicity and the vents. So, what happened to Peggy Shippen in the end? She left for England with her husband in 1782. They had a total of seven children, with five surviving. The British royal family provided money for their family. Did the Arnolds ever return to America? The Thoughtco website provides that information as follows. Quote, Arnold returned to North America in 1784 for a business opportunity in Canada. While he was there, Peggy gave birth to a, a, their daughter, Sophia, and Arnold may have had an illegit- illegitimate son in Canada. She joined him there in 1787, and they had two more children. In 1789, Peggy visited family in Philadelphia, and she made and she was made very unwelcome in the city. By the time the Arnolds left Canada to return to England in 1791, they were unwelcome in Canada too, where mobs met with met them with with protests as they departed. Arnold died in 1801, and Peggy auctioned off much of their property to cover his debts. She died in London in 1804, possibly from cancer. Unquote. Let's move forward in time to the start of the Cold War and talk about Julius and Ethel Rosenberg. Their trial and execution remain controversial to this day. The following account is from the History Channel's website. Quote, Julius and Ethel Rosenberg, a married couple convicted of conspiracy to commit espionage in 1951, were put to death in the electric chair on June 19, 1953. Their dual execution marked the dramatic finale of the most controversial espionage case of the Cold War. Julius was arrested in July 1950 and Ethel in August of that same year on the charge of conspiracy to commit espionage. Specifically, they were accused of heading a spy ring that passed top secret information concerning the atomic bomb to the Soviet Union. The Rosenbergs vigorously protested their innocence but after a brief trial in March 1951, they were convicted. On April 5, 1951, a judge sentenced them to death. The pair were taken to Sing Sing Prison in Ossingen, New York, to wait execution. While awaiting execution, national execution nationally and internationally, their innocence or lack of it was widely debated. Were they just the victims of hysterical anti-communist feeling, or had they had they been dealt with justly? Unquote. What were the events that led to the couple being caught and prosecuted? I think the major event that put the United States on high alert was the Soviet Union exploding their first atomic bomb. The following is from the Cold War Museum website. Quote, on August 29, 1949, the Soviet Union exploded its first atomic bomb. It came as a great shock to the United States because they were not expecting the Soviet Union to possess nuclear weapons, not weapon knowledge so soon. Previously, the United States had used, had used two atomic bombs on Japan to cause them to surrender during World War II. The impact that the possession of nuclear weapons by the Soviet Union had upon the United States was that it caused Americans to question their own safety, unquote. It has been argued that the two atomic bombs detonated over Japan in 1945 were meant in part as a demonstration of United States power 
to surprise and intimidate the Soviet Union. The, apparently, the bombs were no surprise to Soviet Premier Joseph Stalin, who apparently had spies stealing secrets from the Manhattan Project. So the United States and the Soviet Union, both having atomic weapons as early as 1949, made the world a very unsafe place. And after that, the arms race started where either country was trying to get ahead of each other in military technology. At the time of the trial and execution of at the time of their trial and execution, the Korean War against communist enemies was going on. So in the United States, being a communist wasn't going to win many friends. So the Rosenbergs were communists. Yes, and citizens of the United States. So what exactly did they do to be tried and found guilty? Wikipedia explains that Julius Rosenberg was recruited, recruited by the NKVD, which could be described as the Soviet secret police. Earl Browder, as mentioned in the following quote, was at the time the leader of the Communist Party USA organization. Quote, Julius Rosenberg joined the Army Signal Corps Engineering Laboratories at Fort Monmouth, New Jersey in 1940, 1940, where he worked as an engineer inspector until 1945. He was fired when the US Army discovered his previous membership in the Communist Party. Important research on electronics, communications, radar and guided missile controls was undertaken at Fort Monmouth during World War II. According to a 2001 book by his former handler, Alexander Fekulisov, Rosenberg was originally recruited by the NKVD on Labor Day 1942 by former spymaster Semyon Seminov. By this time, following the invasion by Nazi Germany in June 1941, the Soviet Union had become an ally of the United States. Rosenberg had been introduced to Semenov, Semenov by Bernard Schuster, a high-ranking member of the Communist Party USA, and NKVD liaison for Earl Browder. After Semenov was recalled to Moscow in 1944, his duties were taken over by Fek Lizov. Rosenberg provided thousands of classified reports from Emerson Radio including a complete proximity fuse. Under Fekulisov's administration, Rosenberg recruited sympathetic individuals into NKVD service, including Joel Barr, Alfred Sarant, William Pearl, and Morton Sobel, also an engineer. Pearl supplied Fekulisov under Rosenberg's direction with thousands of documents from the National Advisory Committee for Aeronautics, including a complete set of design and production drawings for Lockheed's PAT Shooting Star, the first US operational jet fighter. Feklisov learned that, through Rosenberg that Ethel's brother, David Greenglass, was working on the top secret Manhattan project at the Los Alamos National Laboratory. He directed Julius to recruit Green, Greenglass. In February 1944, Rosenberg succeeded in recruiting a second source of Manhattan project information engineer Russell McNutt, who worked on design for the plants at Oak Ridge National Laboratory. For this coup, Rosenberg received a $100 bonus. McNutt's employment provided access to secrets about processes for manufacturing weapons-grade uranium, unquote. $100 in 1944 would have a value approaching $1,500 in today's terms. But what crimes did Ethel Rosenberg commit? That remains a, a controversy to this day. Prior to the grand jury phase of the prosecution, there was only a weak case against Ethel Rosenberg. There is a theory that implicating Ethel Rosenberg, Julius Rosenberg would confess. Wikipedia explains how the prosecution strengthened their case. Quote, the weak case against Ethel Rosenberg was, was resolved 10 days before the start of the trial, when David and Ruth Greenglass were interviewed a second time. They were persuaded to change their original stories. David originally had said that he'd passed the atomic data he'd collected to Julius on a New York street corner. After being interviewed the second time, he said that he'd given this information to Julius in the living room of the Rosenberg's New York apartment. Ethel at Julius's request had taken his notes and then typed them up, unquote. Based on that account, it appears that Ethel Rosenberg did not have a fair trial. That is exactly what the two Rosenberg sons contend. Their second names have been changed to Miropol. 
they had requested Pro President Obama to exonerate Ethel Rosenberg. The following is from a Boston Globe article from January of 2017. Quote, during their work to uncover the truth about their parents, the Mirapol brothers ultimately became convinced that their father had been involved in spy activity, although they maintained that he did not share atomic secrets with the Soviet Union, as the government had alleged. However, they continued believing their mother's innocence based on interviews with her brother, David Greenglass. Greenglass, whose testimony helped convict Ethel Rosenberg, admitted in a televised interview that he lied on the witness stand in order to protect his wife, Ruth Greenglass, unquote. I think we have time for just one more infamous spy. I think talking about Hollywood actor Leslie Howard may be stretching the definition of a spy, but it's an interesting and tragic story. Howard had given up the riches of Hollywood to return to Britain to help with the war effort. The following is from the London Guardian newspaper from 2005. Quote, he is remembered as the obsessive love interest of Scarlett O'Hara in Gone with the Wind, but Leslie Howard should also be recalled as a British secret agent who died returning from a clandestine war mission, claims the Spanish author. Jose Ray Kizimina says, said that Howard, who was a passenger aircraft, who was in a passenger aircraft shot down by the Luftwaffe in 1943, had just been to a secret meeting with General Franco, allegedly on a special mission for which Winston Churchill, who uh, allegedly on a special mission for Winston Churchill, who wanted to get a secret message to the Spanish dictator. Thanks to him, at least in theory, Spain was persuaded to stay out of the war, Ray Kazimena claimed of the actor famous for his portrayal of the unattainable Southern gentleman, Ashley Wilkes, in the 1939 film Gone with the Wind, unquote. I wonder why the British ambassador couldn't just pass on a message, but how would you travel from country to country in wartime? The visit and possible meeting with Franco were apparently unofficial, without the knowledge of the British embassy in Madrid. To get to Spain, there were scheduled flights from England to Spain's neighbour Portugal, which was a, a neutral country. But I think we'll have to continue with this after the break, Justina. Yes, we'll continue talking about infamous spies after this short break. And you're listening to Too Good To Be True with Justina Marsh and Pete Marsh on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xcbn.net. here and they've been here for thousands of years making their presence known in the shadows. They might be seen by a lonely motorist on a deserted road late at night or by a frightened and confused husband in the bedroom he is sharing with his wife. But who are they? What do they want? Why are they here? Perhaps most concerning, has the government been aware of their presence all along? The new book by Ellie Marzulli, UFO Disclosure, The 70-Year Cover-Up Exposed, delves into the world of UFOs. Can full disclosure be soon? Order now and receive a free hour and 37-minute DVD on the UFO phenomenon, UFOs Are Real. Get both the book and the DVD, a $40 value, for only $19.99. To order your book and DVD today, go to lamarzuli.net. That's L-A-M-A-R-Z-U-L-L-I.net. Rob McConnell here, presenting an overview for Nicholas Paul Jinnix, author of a fascinating book, Amen. It presents facts revealed by Egyptologists, facts that enable us to understand why Amen is the beginning of creation of God. It provides recommendations for religious leaders of the major religions to unify their beliefs and teach the word of God, love one another. Amen informs people how mankind conceived God. It was the Egyptians that developed the concepts of a soul, a hereafter, and son of God, and finally, 
After the worship of many gods, they conceived the belief in one universal God, the maker of all there is. For more information, visit www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simo TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like X-Zone, Sci-Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world. Interactive online network and much more. Tomorrow's TV today. Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. Welcome back to Too Good to Be True. And before the break, we were quoting from the London Guardian newspaper. And, Dad, you were about to continue on with the story. So can you please continue quoting? Yes, I'll continue with a quote from the Guardian newspaper from 2005. Quote, Ray Kismina, who had just published a book on the subject, has not revealed the full content of the contents of the meeting. Howard left Madrid in June 1943 for Lisbon then boarded a DC-3 passenger airliner bound for London. The plane was intercepted off Spain by German fighters and went down in the Atlantic, killing all on board. A rumour later circulated that the Germans thought Churchill himself was on board. Howard's manager, who also died in the crash, was said to resemble the British war leader." Unquote. It's time for the first question. Why has the name Matahari stuck in popular culture as the archetypal female spy? Basically just the uniqueness of it. So some names stick more than others, depending on how unique they are. Why did Margareta Zell, after returning to Europe in 1902 and after a divorce, reinvent herself as a striptease dancer, claiming to be of far eastern descent, calling herself Matahari? Basically, just as a cover. So using that name as a cover so that people wouldn't find out exactly who she used to be. Why did she decide that a career as an, as an exotic dancer was for her? Since that one was more of the best covers possible. Since many people see exotic dancers as not that smart and more as the last opportunity job-wise. So people wouldn't think that typically intelligent women, especially back then, would be an exotic dancer. So she wanted her career as an exotic dancer to be cover for her being a spy. Correct. Did she just spy for the money? And in a way for a personal reason to show herself she could do it. How was she able to captivate crowds in Europe's cultural capitals? Just by her personality and looks. So she was different than most other dancers you would see. So it's just the difference in energy too. Was it obvious to Manahari that she elicited suspicion of espionage, especially during the early years of World War I, by her travel and lifestyle? That could be, said. Did Major Arnold Calais, a German military attaché, regard her as a nuisance or a liability? Yes. Did Arnold Calais decide to dispose of her by using a code that he knew the French had already cracked, transmitting a message identifying her as a spy? There were others involved too, but yes, that was the main point. Why didn't the government of the Netherlands intervene significantly on Matahari's behalf? They didn't want all the cover blown, so it's easier to just let it go. So the government of the Netherlands knew all about her activity? Yes. Was the conviction and execution of Matahari in 1917, in part due to the French military needing a scapegoat due to a lack of success on the battlefield? That was part of it, yes, but also it became too dangerous to have her around, so they were worried that more secrets would be spilled. 
1930, why did the German government determine that she was not guilty of any wrongdoing? Basically because they realized that she could help with other, you could call them projects, so that she was able to succeed at things that others couldn't. But that was after death and after the fact. Yes, after the fact, they learned more information about her. Okay, so they could blow some smoke about female spies being not effective. Correct. In the 1970s, why did unsealed German records indicate she was actually a spy? There was a lot of information that a lot of people knew about her activities. So it was recorded in multiple different places. And since it was activities that were mostly co completed at their time, it wasn't important to keep any secrets anymore about everything that was going on about her. Which country did she spy for, or was she a double agent? She is more of even a triple agent, so she was involved in many different countries and tricked a lot of people. Why haven't all the French documents regarding her surveillance and conviction been declassified? Some of it still keeps some top-secret information about other people. So the information that is involved in other people that still could be dangerous has not been released. At a firing squad, did Matahari refuse a blindfold? Yes. Did she smile and blow a kiss at her executioners? Yes. Why did she make an effort to be so brave before her death? She wanted to be remembered that way, so she wanted to be remembered as someone who even stood up for herself at her last moments. What can we learn from Manahari's life story? Basically, that there were and still are many different spies. So sometimes some people really aren't exactly who you think they are. And they don't only trick some people, but even trick some of the people closest to them. But the problem, especially with being involved in multiple governments and playing the double agent role, is at a point there will be someone who knows something who releases this information. So spies overall have to be so careful. And it's very hard when a person has one identity to fully change their identity and become someone else. Changing subject to Peggy Shipping, did she instigate the correspondence between her husband, Benedict Arnold, and Major John Andre, who was the British officer in charge of spying? Yes. Did she send military secrets to the British before she married Benedict Arnold? Yes. As a newlywed, did she have contact with British Major John Andre? Yes. Before the Arnold family moved to near West Point, what was the motivation besides the payment of £350 for Peggy Shippen handling messages to the British? Basically, it was just the money. There really wasn't anything else, just the money. How did Benedict Arnold think that he could get away with weakening the forces at West Point for an easy handover to the British without raising the suspicion of being a traitor? He was naive, so he didn't think through the plan, and he thought more people trusted him than actually did. On September 21st, 1870, when John Andre met with Benedict Arnold, what were the significant documents that were handed over to John Andre? Basically, military secrets, so some plans of possible locations and names of military members, ones that were not supposed to be discovered. On September 23, 1870, following his meeting with Benedict Arnold, how did the colonial forces know that the rider in plain clothes was Major John Andre, who was spying for the British? They got the information secretly, so they already knew. Okay, so there was a tip-off. Yes. Following John Andre's arrest on September 25th, 1870, did Benedict Arnold abandon his family and flee in the belief that his wife, Peggy Shippen, was above suspicion? He knew there was a small possibility she would be caught, but he was more thinking about himself and getting away. On the same day when George Washington and his aides were scheduled to have breakfast with the Arnolds, did Peggy Shippen pretend to become hysterical while acting out that she had discovered her husband's treason? Yes. Did that performance help her husband, Benedict Arnold, buy time to make his escape? Yes, but a lot of time. Why were Benedict Arnold and Peggy Shippen sent to British-occupied New York rather than being tried for treason, especially after a letter between John Andre and Peggy was discovered? Basically, since they know so many people higher up, 
So they're giving more lenience on the situation. After Peggy arrived in England with her husband and family in 1782, why did the British royal family provide money for them? Since it became useful to the British royal family. They were useful to the British previously, but were they useful after arriving in Britain? Yes, very useful. So they showed that they could be more skilled, you could say. In 1789, why wasn't Peggy arrested and tried as a traitor when she traveled to Philadelphia in the now free United States, rather than just being made very unwelcome in the city? Again, her ties to higher ups, so she was getting protected. In 1791, why had the Arnolds become unwelcome in Canada, with mobs coming to meet them and protesting as they departed for England? Basically because word spread, so word spread about how big of traitors they were and how they're affecting a lot of the current United States and that affected Canada as well. What motivated Benedict Arnold and Peggy Shippen to become traitors? Basically the money, so the money made it so they could live more comfortably and they thought it was worth the risk. What, what can we learn from the life of Peggy Shippen? Basically, that sometimes things seem too good to be true, and they are. So sometimes less money doesn't always allow people to do things they might have had a chance to do before. But the problem with that is that there is still a public opinion, and there are still ethics and morals to follow. So anyone who does something possibly wrong for money needs to think about if that choice is really worth it or not. Changing subject to Julius and Ethel Rosenberg, after their conviction in 1951, why was there a division of opinion nationally and internationally regarding whether they were the victims of a surge of anti-communism or that they had been dealt with justly? Basically, just differing opinions. So people just decided to choose one side or the other, like most big cases or most people in the media. Before their trial, why did Julius and Ethel Rosenberg vigorously protest their innocence was it just because they had nothing to lose? That, and they were trying to convince themselves that they were also innocent. So they believed that if they said it enough, they were actually innocent. Don't think we got time for the next question before the break, Justina. Yes, we'll continue with the questions and psychic insight about infamous spies after the short break. And you're listening to Too Good To Be True with Justina Marsh and Pete Marsh on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. here and they've been here for thousands of years making their presence known in the shadows. They might be seen by a lonely motorist on a deserted road late at night or by a frightened and confused husband in the bedroom he is sharing with his wife. But who are they? What do they want? Why are they here? Perhaps most concerning, has the government been aware of their presence all along? The new book by Ellie Marzulli, UFO Disclosure, The 70-Year Cover-Up Exposed, delves into the world of UFOs. Can full disclosure be soon? Order now and receive a free hour and 37-minute DVD on the UFO phenomenon, UFOs Are Real. Get both the book and the DVD, a $40 value, for only $19.99. To order your book and DVD today, go to lamarzuli.net. That's L-A-M-A-R-Z-U-L-L-I.net. Christopher Fulton is a survivor of the National Security State. 
All he wanted to do was preserve history when he acquired a Cartier watch from the estate of President Kennedy's personal secretary. But that simple act set off a terrible chain reaction. He was pursued by the U.S. Justice Department and the FBI, thrust into the middle of the U.S. government's Assassination Records Review Board, even monitored and pursued by the Russian government. All because that Cartier watch was the missing link of evidence, a timepiece worn by JFK that fateful day in Dallas, a link resulting in Christopher being incarcerated and attacked for nine years because he opened a hidden chapter in history. The intriguing journey outlined fully in Christopher Fulton's memoir, The Inheritance, is available now through Trinday.com or Amazon.com. The Inheritance, Poisoned Fruit of JFK's Assassination by Christopher and Michelle Fulton is a must-read, an incredible tale of how easily our own government can overrule justice. The Inheritance, Poisoned Fruit of JFK's Assassination. Welcome back to Too Good to Be True. And before the break, we were discussing the psychic insight and questions about infamous spies. Dad, can you please continue with the questions? Yes, here's the next question. Was the shock of the explosion of the Soviet Union's first atomic bomb in 1949, at least in part a result of secrets being passed on by the Rosenbergs? Partially, yes. Not fully, though. With the Soviet Union possessing nuclear weapons, was fear a motivation in the United States in wanting a conviction of communist spies? Yes. Is it a reasonable assumption that the two atomic bombs detonated over Japan in 1945 were meant in part as a demonstration of United States power to surprise and intimidate the Soviet Union? In part, yes. Was the detonation of the atomic bombs in 1945 no surprise to Soviet Premier Joseph Stalin because spies had been stealing secrets from the Manhattan Project? Yes, it wasn't too surprising. He had more information than people even knew. In 1942, as a communist, had Julius Rosenberg been recruited by the NKVD or the Soviet secret police? Yes. Until 1945, working at the Army Signal Corps Engineering Laboratories, did Julius Rosenberg provide to the Soviets thousands of classified reports from Emerson Radio, including a complete proximity fuse? Yes. Did Julius Rosenberg recruit other sympathetic individuals into the service of the Soviets, with the result that secrets including a complete set of design and production drawings for Lockheed's P-80 shooting star fighter jet were passed on to the Soviets? Yes. Did Julius Rosenberg recruit as a spy his wife, Ethel's brother, Dave, David Greenglass, who was, a, who was working at the top secret Manhattan project at the Los Alamos National Laboratory? Yes, and even got information from other people working on the project. In February of 1944, did Julius Rosenberg receive a $100 bonus for recruiting engineer Russell McNutt, who worked on the Manhattan Project at Oak Ridge National Laboratory with access to secrets regarding processes for manufacturing weapons-grade uranium? Yes. Why wasn't Julius Rosenberg, when discovered as a spy, turned to pass on false information to the Soviets, as well as to provide information on all he knew about Soviet spying activities? Basically because of pride. So some of the answers he wanted to keep private well, some of the answers, he didn't really care if they were just out there. So he took his job seriously, you could say, for some parts, but other parts he just didn't care. Was the opportunity given to try to turn Julius Rosenberg as a spy? Yes and no. Again, his pride was in the way, so they knew that they really couldn't actually trust him. Prior to the grand jury phase of the prosecution, was there only a weak case against Ethel Rosenberg with implicating her thought to be a means of making Julius Rosenberg confess, presumably to save his wife from going on trial. Yes. Ten days before the start of the Rosenberg's trial, was Ethel Rosenberg's brother David Greenglass and his wife Ruth persuaded to change their story to implicate Ethel Rosenberg to state that Ethel had actually typed up secret information to be passed on to the Soviets? Some of that information was actually true, so it wasn't a completely false testimony. However, it was information that he shouldn't have shared. Was changing their stories to implicate Ethel Rosenberg the reason why charges were dropped against Ruth Greenglass? In a way, yes. 
Is there more that you could say on that? Yes, so part of it too was that they went after who they could get the biggest conviction out of. So they wanted to make a point about how the prosecution was fighting their case. So you could say they put more energy into fighting the people that they knew would be prosecuted most. Did the Green Glasses understand at the time that by changing their testimony that Ethel Rosenberg would be sent to the electric chair? They didn't understand that at the time, no. Are the Rosenberg's two sons, the Mirapol brothers, correct in concluding that while their father had been involved in espionage, he did not share atomic secrets with the Soviet Union? That's not true, no. Following the re release of previously sealed documents revealing that the prosecution had faked evidence, are the Mirapol brothers correct in concluding that their mother was executed even though she was innocent? That's again not true. So Ethel knew about Julius's activities? Yes. Did, did David Greenglass later admit in a televised interview that he lied on the witness stand in order to protect his wife, Ruth? Yes. Why was David Greenglass's sentence much less than that of the Rosenbergs in serving nine and a half years in prison? Just because overall it seemed that he had a lesser role to play, so the effects of sharing atomic information was a lot greater. So the fact that they shared information that could kill and hun injure hundreds of thousands of people was a lot greater than sharing smaller secrets. In more recent times, why was Ethel, Ethel Rosenberg not exonerated by the President of the United States following the revelation that the prosecution had faked evidence? Basically, they did have some evidence that was actually non-falsified. And also because of the tension, you could say, between the Soviets, the U.S., and even other countries. So they needed to make a point that spies are not going to get away with what they were getting away with at the time. So it was all to make a point. And the president believed this was the right way to go about it, so that it would also put some fear into other people so they wouldn't make the same mistakes. What, what can we learn from the events in the lives of Julius and Ethel Rosenberg? Just to be very careful with information, and if something's confidential, it should be kept confidential, since in a lot of cases it can actually harm many different people. So that, and also you have to be careful what you wish for. So sometimes information is very valuable, but sometimes information can come back to bite you also. So to be very careful with the information that one has, and to make sure that it's put into the correct hands and not shared for selfish gain. Changing subject to Hollywood actor Leslie Howard, was he returning from a secret mission for Winston Churchill when his passenger aircraft was shot down by the Luftwaffe in 1943? That could be said. Had Howard had a secret meeting with General Franco? There was a meeting, yes. Did Howard travel to Madrid, Spain to pass on a secret message to Spanish dictator General Franco? Yes. As a result of that secret message, was General Franco persuaded to stay out of World War II by Spain not joining forces with Hitler and Mussolini, who had supported his rise to power. There were other people who had contacted him also, so it wasn't only this one message, but many of them. Besides coded messages not being safe from interception, why was it necessary to send a famous Hollywood actor to deliver the message in person? In person has a lot more effect too, so the message was going to be a lot more powerful by being said in person than versus over coded line. Why weren't the British Embassy entrusted with the task of communicating with General Franco? Again, it wouldn't have had the same effect on the whole situation. So they chose someone who could be very effective and take a more personal turn on the message. Was that also true because General Franco had the opportunity to meet with a famous Hollywood actor? A hundred percent. And also they shared their own personal stories too. So they had a lot more in common than one would think. Did the German think Churchill himself was on board, mistaking him for Leslie Howard's manager? Or was Howard himself targeted when shot down? Howard himself was targeted. Was there a secret agreement to keep Franco in power after the war as military dictator, in, in fact, until his death in 1975? even though he was a fascist, originally supported by fascist Italy and fascist Germany? Not exactly, no. There was something more behind it, yes. There was a lot more on how these series of events played out. So they wanted to keep him in power, but it was also a choice that kind of just unfolded. So it would be something that was just a series of events. 
But General Franco must have been given some incentive to stay out of World War II. The British government must have given him something. Yes, there was the thought of power, but also some other offers, you could say, where money was involved too. What can we learn about the events surrounding the untimely death of Leslie Howard? Basically, to be very careful. So again, information has a lot of power, and certain people don't always want information shared or discussed. So in taking on these missions, you could say sometimes people aren't told how dangerous and fatal these can be. And again, the task of spreading information is sometimes a very rocky one and can even lead to an untimely death. That was the last answer. For a professional spy, is living to a ripe old age too good to be true? That depends on what you are prepared to believe. Well, the nice thing about the show is you're always surprised. I had the idea that uh, Manahari was an opportunist, that she became famous as an exotic dancer, and that led her into spying. But it sounds like she went into exotic dancing, so she had cover to become a professional spy. I thought that was very interesting. I think my biggest takeaway from the whole episode is probably in the last um, question that information has a lot of power. So the theme it seems to be with these spies is, yes, they may have not done horrible acts or something along those lines, but they spread information that actually led down a series of events that occurred. Yes, and uh, leaking the secrets that they did, the Rosenbergs did for the atomic bombs and other fighter jets and other things, um, that, that's unbelievable. And I think it was said that it put the lives of hundreds of thousands of people at risk. So what can you say? And uh, I guess spying isn't being about uh, John, uh, James Bond. I don't think there's much glamour to it. Well, on that note, if anyone has any suggestions, feel free to contact us at Too Good To Be True on Facebook with the first two spelled T-W-O or our website at toogoodtobetrue.net. And we welcome any suggestions, any comments, but thank you so much for listening and we look forward to next week's show. If you are looking for a safe, zero-calorie, natural option to the harmful artificial sweeteners on the market today, Just Like Sugar is what you're looking for. Just Like Sugar is a wonderful natural alternative for those health-conscious people who choose a calorie-restricted diet with a great, pure, sweet flavor that tastes just like sugar. Just Like Sugar is a great natural option for people suffering from diabetes and may be useful in restricted diet programs where standard sugars are not allowed and does not cause a laxative effect of some other sweeteners. Just Like Sugar comprises a perfect blend of chicory root fiber, natural calcium, natural vitamin C, and Just Like Sugar sweetness comes from the natural flavors from the peel of the orange. Just Like Sugar is a natural alternative to harmful artificial sweeteners and will change the way that you believe all natural sweetener products taste. Just Like Sugar is available at your local Whole Foods markets, Wild Oats markets, Henry's, Sun Harvest, and many other fine natural food stores in the U.S., Canada, and worldwide. They are here, and they've been here for thousands of years, making their presence known in the shadows. They might be seen by a lonely motorist on a deserted road late at night, or by a frightened and confused husband in the bedroom he is sharing with his wife. But who are they? What do they want? Why are they here? Perhaps most concerning, has the government been aware of their presence all along? The new book by Ellie Marzulli, UFO Disclosure, The 70-Year Cover-Up Exposed, delves into the world of UFOs. Can full disclosure be soon? Order now and receive a free hour and 37-minute DVD on the UFO phenomenon, UFOs Are Real. Get both the book and the DVD, a $40 value, for only $19.99. To order your book and DVD today, go to lamarzuli.net. That's L-A-M-A-R-Z-U-L-L-I.net. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simo TV. 
plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like Exxon, Sci-Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world. Interactive online network and much more. Tomorrow's TV today. Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today.